0: So, first things first.
1: Wait, <laughs> if you're not coming in, can you close the door?
0: Thanks. Okay, if you have a smartphone, can you please be so kind as to put it in the basket? Because otherwise, my obsessive compulsive thing is gonna kick in and it's going to, I don't know. It's not gonna be good. That basket, yes. Anyway. All right. Thank you. You'll get lots of texts and
2: stuff.
0: I'll get lots of texts? From
2: SoundCloud.
0: <laughs> people have my phone number?
2: No, you I don't think you guys have
0: my phone number. No, no, no. They're no, supposed no, no. to have no, my phone number. They from
2: people on SoundCloud. How they also don't, don't they have still? my phone number. Okay.
0: My phone number is a highly guarded secret. <laughs> is it
2: like not on birthday? Okay.
0: shouldn't be. Yeah,
2: like your birthday.
0: <laughs> no. I value my privacy. Oh,
2: can we
1: play 20 questions?
0: No, we did that yesterday. Okay. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the Torah. Okay. Um, first things, I said this yesterday, so I'm not going to repeat myself too much, that the angle, the perspective in which I teach is how does um, the Torah or Orthodox Judaism generally, um, and the Chabad approach to it more particularly, understand things. Not to argue why you should accept or not accept things. Um, it's not my business to try and convince you of anything. For two reasons. I remember the two reasons why I don't like to convince people of things?
2: You don't like to be wrong.
0: No, wrong. I'm not wrong. Fail. I don't fail. like to fail. That's what it was, Fail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually wrong once, but then I corrected myself, um, so it doesn't count. Okay. Say, which is why I'm like,
2: is he
0: okay. So no, one I don't like to fail, and trying to convince people that something is true is a good way to fail because most people are not, you know, and myself included, don't like to change our minds about things. And the other thing is that something as important as. A religion connection to God shouldn't be based on how persuasive a particular rabbi is or isn't. It has to come from a deeper place within oneself. um, And that's both for the integrity of the religious lifestyle and experience and also psychologically, if you're going to make major changes about how you live your life and your values and your cultures, um, the only way that's going to be stable is if it's rooted in something that's um, very personal, so to speak, between you and yourself and God and nothing to do with what someone else has convinced you of. So I view this as education in terms of giving you um, information and what you do with it is up to you. Um, So if you say, well, couldn't it be different? The answer is it could be different, but Orthodox Judaism doesn't think it's different. That's going to basically be how that goes. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the knowledge contained in the Torah Um, and what that knowledge is, what kind of knowledge is contained in the Torah, and um, the different parts of the Torah we're going to do tomorrow, but today we're going to talk about um, where this knowledge comes from. What is its origin? Now, if you say God, well, that's great, except that according to Judaism, God is the origin and creator of everything. So saying something ultimately stems back to God is really not saying anything Are at all. Saying. Right, yeah.
1: Are you talking about Jewish wisdom or the five books of Moses?
0: I will get to that. Okay, okay. Mostly tomorrow... I'm going to get to that, but I will touch on it briefly today. Okay. So the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about knowledge more generally because I think it's helpful to have a framework for um, p- putting ideas, just like kind of like a filing cabinet in your head. Okay. So there is a branch of philosophy called epistemology, which means the study of how we know things. Okay. Okay. There are two broad approaches to epistemology. One is to think about the ways in which we know things and try and understand them by seeing when they're working correctly and bracketing when they don't work, bracketing when they misfunction. Okay? In other words, if I want to understand, using examples, if I want to understand what a smartphone is, should I examine working smartphones or broken smartphones?
3: Work
0: Working, okay. There is another view, which is that if I really want to understand how we know things, I should look at when, our, what, when what we think we know turns out to be false. And it's when our methods of knowing end up being mistaken. Okay. I'm not going to get into the debate of which one is better or which one is worse. Um, ultimately, there's room for both approaches. However, I do think it is more intuitive and clearer to start with looking at things as assuming that everything is working properly, understanding that, and only then, once one has kind of mastered that, one can then start modifying that and making it a little more nuanced by examining cases where things go wrong. Okay? Um, which means that for the rest of the class, we're going to assume that everything everybody knows is true, ignoring the fact that obviously that's false. Some of the things that we supposedly know are false. But we're going to pretend for today's class that everything you know your methods of knowing are flawless, it's just so we can understand how they work when they're working properly, okay? Um, if you would like an analogy to this, when you go check your bank account online, is it possible that the information there is false, okay? But unless you have a good reason to think that it's false, how do you live your life? It's
3: true.
0: As if it's true, right? So, um, and knowing that it could sometimes be false doesn't prevent you from treating it as true, and so we're going to take that approach today. So I don't mean to say that people can't hallucinate, that people can't have figments, their imaginations, that people cannot be... Uh, you know I have little kids. There's plenty of things that people are apt... They know! Yeah, like my, my kids know that, that somebody came into our house and stole the thing until they realized that they just forgot where they left it. Um, little kids are always convinced that someone stole their things. At least my kids are always convinced that someone stole their things. Um, So we're going to ignore the fact that we can be wrong just to understand the different ways of knowing themselves and to understand where the knowledge of the Torah comes from. Is it like or unlike other kinds of knowledge? Okay. So broadly, basically, we have four ways that we come to know things. And by knowing, I mean that there are things that are true that are the case and we have Knowledge of that inside of ourselves, we have an awareness of that of some kind or another. Not all awareness is conscious, by the way. Um, so, for instance, many times you will pick up your. First, right now, you just picked up, and and you you pick that cup up. Yes. Yeah. Were you consciously thinking the cup is exactly where it is? No. No. But you place. but you have some sort of implicit unconscious knowledge as where the cup was, and so you could, you know, move the cup, and you'll notice that sometimes. Um, you can see you have this kind of unconscious knowledge when you put something down, and someone moves it without your awareness and you reach for it, because you on some level knew it was there, but turns out not to be there, or where um, in the men 's program, they they, they, they they elevated the floor, so it used to be there was a step, and now there's no step. so for the next few like days, week after that, what happened is that every time I walked out of the building onto the uh, side onto the the patio. I ended up like jamming my foot into the floor because I expected the floor to be about eight inches lower than it was until my body started to know that it isn't there. So I don't mean I say no, I don't always mean conscious things that you can articulate in words, but any kind of awareness, any kind of in being informed about the nature of reality outside of ourselves. Okay, now. The, th- the four ways, there's going to be two that are primary, which means that they d- are just us and reality, no other people involved, and another two which involve other people. So two primary ways and two secondary ways. The first way are what we call the five senses. So you can see things, you can hear things, you can touch things, um, you can smell things, and you can taste things. Are there any other senses other than that? So why do we group them in five? Anyone know why we group them in five?
2: I don't know. Like, I think if you wanted to like, medically explain it, there's like more categorical, specific senses. So like I think like regulating your heartbeat ah. or like, being able to... I
0: don't know. Right. So, I back to you. The, the, no, you're, you're right. There's a, bunch of other, there's a bunch of other things, like where your body is in space. There's a bunch of things. The reason why these five are isolated because these things give you information about external reality. So if you take the way that I can take an information about the external reality and specifically the external physical reality. So for instance, if there is another physical object other than me and my body, how do I become aware of it? Well, I can see it. I can hear it interacting with something else. I can smell the chemicals coming off of it. I can taste the chemical composition of it, right? Or I can feel its texture, heat, etc. That's about it. I have a bunch of other senses, but all those other ones, which are very interesting and fascinating, are more directed at me and my body. So other physical objects, if I want to know about them, I have to use one of those five senses. But then they have different aspects, like seeing is color, shape, distance. But you get the point. Yes?
2: Are all four of these modes going to be about knowing external things?
0: Yes. They're all going to be about knowing external things. Yes. These are all about – right. So like your own being is we're, we're in a totally separate category. Because like, your sense that I am is not, you know, that's internalized. Okay. So what are kinds of things that we know that we, can't, that we don't use our senses for? External things. Anyone get the kind of a thing that we would say is it's part of reality. It's outside of us. And yet we can know about it. But, but we can't see it, hear it, taste it, smell, touch. Yeah, we can
2: conceptualize abstract
0: things. Right, right, right. Abstract things. Right? So these are things from mathematical rules, um, basic notions like causality, one thing causes another, you can never see causality, you can just see one thing and then you see the other thing, the idea that one is making the other happen, that's not something you actually see, that's an idea. Um, moral imperatives, that some things ought to be the case, like you know, well-being and some things ought not to be the case, like torture. Right, these are not things that you can see with your eyes or hear with your ears, but we can grasp them in this other kind of way.
3: Torture
0: can, torture can be felt, but that it is wrong to torture. Oh, okay. One ought not Morally. torture the more right, moral things, right? Um, okay, these kinds of things we can't use our senses for. Okay, so we have this other thing where we um, somehow become aware of this, and what's very interesting is that we have a process where we can actually gain these kinds of things, and not just by someone else telling me. So, for instance, um, one of the things that that um, is very important to do with children is to tell them, or not necessarily in these words, but to convey the message that they should think about things. Why? Well, one could argue, well, if you don't know about it, well, then someone else should tell you, because I don't know, right? So we're walking down the street with um, some of my kids, and they just built a new street that has a wide sidewalk. And there are these two um, pillars that are about this far apart, about this tall, um, about every, say, 20 feet in the middle of the sidewalk. They're they're made of steel or some metal. And we're walking. And I'm walking, and so one of my older sons, uh, um, he's ten, and I asked him, "Why are these here?" He said, "I don't know." I said, "Okay, well, what do you think?" Well, how am I supposed to know? Because he's at this age where he likes to be lazy. Um, he's learning how to be a teenager. He's prepping, and um, he he, you know, what I pushed and he came up with all sorts of like things, and then the funny thing is, I'm walking them with my six-year-old a day later, and he just looks at them. Oh, and then I eventually told my son why they're there all the time. And time. And, but my six-year-old looks at them and says, these are here so that sh- cars don't drive on the sidewalk. Because I don't know if you know anything about Israel. <laughs> but um, the idea that cars are meant to drive on streets and not on sidewalks is more of a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a wide street that you could drive a car, a wide sidewalk that you could drive a car down as an extra lane, people will do it. And how do you prevent that from happening? Cool, you put these metal things up. <laughs> okay. So my six-year-old, he walked down the street the first time and no one. And so my, my 10-year-old then looks at him and says, who told you? And he says, no one told me, I just I, I don't know, thought about it for a second, right? And it's not that my 10-year-old is stupid, right? But there's a process of actually stopping and engaging in some kind of thinking and introspection and we can literally pull ideas out of somewhere, okay? And for right now, we're gonna assume that everything that we pull out of that somewhere is true because it's a way of knowing things, right? So people, they reflect, they introspect. They, 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 they analyze and synthesize. We do all these other kinds of processes to develop other kinds of knowledge about the world around us. Okay? These things are traditionally called empirical knowledge and rational knowledge. Um, some people are extremists. They think that only one is good and the other is bad, but I think normal people understand that you know, no amount of introspecting will let you realize if there's a cup of water in front of you, and no amount of looking around the world will be able to tell you whether something is morally right or morally wrong. So you need some way of bringing these two together, but the point is they're very different, okay? Now, what you'll notice is those two things you don't need anybody else for. So, um, how did, how did uh, everyone's heard of gravity? Yeah. Okay, so it's how did, how, is, how is gravity discovered? Anyone know how gravity was discovered? I
3: mean, theoretically they say that an apple dropped down.
0: Because nobody ever saw anything fall before.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. How is gravity discovered? Here's a, follow, here's, a, here's a precursor question. What's gravity? Well, gravity that Newton discovered anyway. What is it?
2: I mean, technically, I think the physicists
0: don't really know the answer. That's right. But you know what it is? Um, it's
2: the, I think the right word is force that pulls things down to the center of the earth and to its center of mass.
0: Okay. It's math. So Newton, Newton looked, at, looked at a bunch of math. And he thought about it, and he thought about it, and he thought about it, and he thought about it. you know what he realized, that all of this different math, if you think about it differently, it can all actually be, the same math. That's gonna be
3: my answer next time.
0: Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then people realize that it's only approximation. But the point is, the point is, he just thought, like, he, he looked at a bunch of stuff that people measurements that people had made and, and mathematical equations, and he thought about it. Okay, um, so that's in the realm of physics. Okay, um. Political theory. How does that, you know, what, you know, the idea that like you should have uh, rights and uh, balances of power and, 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 and different ways to run a government. Like, where where did those things come from?
2: People sitting around and looking at societies and politics the way they were,
0: and then and then okay, so that
2: no,
0: uh, and or being yes. no, <laughs> and then thinking, okay, well, if not this, then what? And coming up with stuff, right? Okay, and so there is this back and forth. Empirical, rational, empirical, rational, and we can debate those, but they're very different. Now, um, so let's take an example of something like science, modern science. Is modern science, do we just look at the world or do we pull this stuff out of the magic nowhere by, by reflecting, do we do both when we do science? Both. We do both, yeah. right? Because the whole idea of a, of a theory, Right, of a scientific theory is that there is some kind of an idea of what causes what, what's related to it. Those are things you cannot see, and then you see, well, does the world that I observe match what I would expect? So these things are back and forth in any different area. There's again, a lot of ways of getting into the details, but those two things are the case. The, the, we have these two primary ways of knowing things. There are two secondary ways. Most of what you know, that you are consciously aware of that you know, does not rational, and is not empirical, meaning, Um, most things that you claim to know, you have never seen, heard, tasted, etc. And most things that you claim to know, you have not actually done the actual introspection and reflection yourself. So where do you get the knowledge from? Other people. They told you, or they wrote it down, and you believe them. You trust them that the information that they are telling you is correct. So trusting the conclusions and experiences of others. That's the third kind.
2: Can you just go back to what the second one was? Yeah. Rational, where you're doing the introspection. Oh, okay. Trusting the
0: what? Trusting what other people tell you.
2: That's third. That's the third.
0: Yeah. I was sitting in class and there were a bunch of people debating what happened in the Beverly Hills Shoal. Uh, and there's, there was five Torahs and there was one Torah and they were debating whether there was a vandalism. How many Torahs were destroyed or were they destroyed? And I just thought this was very funny because like, nobody was there. Like, like, you're just debating about which person told you something and which one you believe. <laughs> okay, so you have things you have experienced with your own senses, things that you have thought about deeply yourself, and then there are things, and this is the vast majority of things that we're consciously aware of, things that you have been informed by other people and you believe them, okay? So, remember being in school, and the teacher gets up and says something? Like right now, okay? But let's take even more basic things, okay? Like there are 50 states in the United States or the world is a globe.
3: I, I, remember, we're
0: right. So now, but the thing is, all the people who know these to be true, like did you actually go and check yourself or you believe people, right? So... This is another way of knowing knowledge. The fourth and final way that we get knowledge is what's called cultural knowledge, which is there are, because one of the aspects of people is that we are not just isolated individual individuals, we are social beings. In other words, a functional human being is made up of inputs from the society around them, which is why if you isolate children and when they're developing, it's like inhumane and cruel. Um, Things that a society um, operates according to, even if they are never told to you by a particular person and you don't believe anybody that tells you, they still shape your thinking. Okay? By the way, one of the major problems that exists in the modern world is that we don't live in monocultures. So cultures are usually those things that everybody knows, but nobody knows that they know them. They're, all in, they're operating in the background. Um, what happens if you live in more than one culture at the same time it creates a lot, right? So if you tell me something, I can like, okay, you told me, do I believe you, do I not believe you? But if it's culture knowledge, I'm not even aware that I'm being influenced, that that knowledge is getting imparted to me. And if I live in more than one culture at the same time, what does that do? One culture is imparting one set of truths, and the other part, then that creates a lot of tension and confusion, which I'm not gonna help you resolve right now. I'm just letting you know that that's a affliction of living in a very interconnected world. But if you live in, the more, the more singular a culture is, um, the less you notice it. Okay? And most of the things that people supposedly know, it's not because there's one particular person that told them or one particular book that they read, but because the whole culture is operating off of uh, in ways that assumes or take uh, certain things being true, and therefore the truth of those things somehow gets imprinted into a person. And that kind of knowledge is actually very difficult to change because it's not like, oh, this person told me and that's why I believe that
1: to raise this issue again but the whole notion of like i know that my mom is my mom mm-hmm. is that does that fall into multiple categories because i'm thinking of like looking at old pictures and being like whoa she looks like me or but then i don't even know that that's her in those old pictures and then like okay the so certificate so, thing like. like so
0: so so what else t- what i'll say is like this is that different different issues and different stage of development these things all work together and i'll just say one thing Human beings actually only have one way of determining whether our knowledge is correct, or is true or false. We only have one way, which is weird, but this is the only way we have, which is inconsistency. If, our knowledge, if the different ways of knowing give us inconsistent, then we know something is wrong. But beyond that, we're, we're not good. So if, if I rationally think about things and then I look at the world and those don't line up, or my culture seems to be pushing me in one way, But when I think about it, I go in and I reach other conclusions, then I just know somewhere there is a problem. Either one of these things is wrong or there is a missing information that would make it all make sense. And so, so long as you don't have inconsistencies, you don't have this problem. So you say you know your mother is your mother, the reason why is because all the different ways of knowing, they all seem to point in the same direction. and Therefore, you have no qualms about your mother being your mother. What would happen if all of a sudden you discovered a bunch of inconsistencies?
1: I would know less <laughs> and then
0: you could, and once when, and when there, once there's a once you hit a tipping point then you go into doubt and then from doubt to skepticism and then from skepticism to outright rejection depending on how inconsistent things are okay but that's a separatism the point is that these these different ways of knowing now why do we have to have these different ways of knowing because the different ways of knowing cover different things and they each have their own advantages and disadvantages it's like just using the senses as an analogy, it wouldn't be good if we, all we could do is see and not hear. What would be it's an obvious deficiency in sight. Give me an obvious deficiency. Why it's good? To, why hearing has is better than seeing? It's not always better, but in a certain sense, yeah. You can only recognize
2: things that are directly in front of you. Yeah,
0: yeah. Seeing is one. Seeing three dimensionally is is one directional, and you can see all around you, but you don't have to have eyes on the side of your head, and then you can only see two dimensionally. So if you want to see three dimensionally you have to have one direction. Um, boys, you can hear in all directions. Also, you don't need a direct line of sight for hearing. Right? Sometimes that's a bad thing when the neighbors are doing construction.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: Um, seeing, though, seeing is much better than hearing because in seeing, you, you, in, there's an immediacy of categorization. When you see something, your mind immediately categorizes as to what that is. Um, whereas when you hear something, there's a lot of vagueness, which is why that if you hear a sound that you've never heard before, you are completely clueless as to what, it, what made it. Um, and if you hear sounds that you've heard before, if even a, your mind will assume that it's made by the same thing that you're familiar with, even if it was made by something entirely different. So our, our knowledge of the world through hearing is very associative, whereas our knowledge of the world through seeing is much more direct. This thing is there and it's like this, where if I hear something, it's a lot less. Yeah. Uh- I'm not saying the overall one is better than them. I'm saying that there's each one Each one has advantages, and so obviously we'd like to have both. Yeah?
2: I'm not 100% sure, I guess, exactly what I'm trying to ask here. But like with Nora's example, mm-hmm. uh, and you saying that when you discover inconsistencies in what you knew, that that's when you realize that what you saw you knew, you didn't know. But what if in contrast to that you discovered new information that didn't necessarily conflict with anything previously but it was just like very startling information in your body reacts in the same way though it's not going against like an intrinsic truth you already knew
0: yeah that that's that could happen i mean i don't want to spend too much time on 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 that because that's getting to the fact that we're not just knowing beings there's other sides to us I wanna focus basically on the ways that we know and assuming they're working correctly, but you are right. There's a whole other aspect of familiarity, which is not really knowing per se, and when we expose something that's unfamiliar but doesn't contradict, that also creates discomfort. Okay. Um, okay, so let's think through, why are these different four ways of knowing each superior to the others? So let's run. This. So, first off, why, what's better about empirical knowing, knowing through your senses, than any other kind of knowing? Why is that a better form of knowing?
3: Because you kind of do it on your
0: own. Okay, but, but the doing it on your own usually comes from the fact that we think if you're doing it on your own, somehow it's more reliable, but that goes with the, re- the thing. I want to bracket out reliability. So let's assume everything's working no, I mean, properly. Like,
3: I mean, like, familiarity of like, you. Like,
0: but why is that better? Why does that give you more knowledge? Why is that knowledge better or superior kind of knowledge?
3: Experience.
0: What? It's personal. And therefore?
3: You trust it more.
0: But that's going back to reliability. I'm saying take out the reliability issue. It.
3: it matters more.
0: It matters more. People don't walk into walls.
3: i done
0: Okay, but I I meant that as a normative statement, not as an absolute statement, right? In other words, nobody's like, well, there's a wall here, and I know I can't walk there. I'm going to do it anyway. Like, like they're just not, that's not, right? But people all the time will treat abstract knowledge, the knowledge that we develop through our rational mind, as irrelevant. I know it's wrong, and I don't care. I know the math doesn't add up, but I'm going to keep, you know, (laughs) running my finances that way anyway. Right, So there is, a, there is a relevance to our actual person that comes from empirical knowledge that you just don't have with the abstract. right? That's why people do things that they know to be wrong or know to be foolish, even as they're sometimes consciously thinking about how it is wrong and bad idea for them to do it. Right? Um, but, you know. As you feel your hand burning as you move it closer to the fire, like like it's very clear what you're doing um, now, a person might choose to burn themselves for some god for a reason or a person but 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 as you feel it, it's like okay, if I continue moving my hand in the fire it's gonna, like it 's burning I can feel that, and so like i 'll pull it out if i don 't want it to burn i'll move it in, but I'm, there's no there isn't this disassociation and detachment from the knowledge that occurs in abstract knowledge can not
3: you appreciate that more what or what? That makes-
0: Oh, but then you go the other way is that abstraction has a far broader reach because you, in abstraction you can, the, the, you, can, you can know things that are not here, they are not now, they are not uniquely related to your experience. So the range of what you can reach through abstract knowledge is broader, but the trade-off is that it's less relevant, it less impacts you. So it'd be nice to have some kind of synthesis of the two. Like, it's very hard like i can i can i can i can come to appreciate you know why something is important even if it has no relevance to my life abstractly but it's never going to have the same degree of immediacy as like not walking through a solid wall i mean the, the wall's there okay what about trusting other people why is that better than all other forms of knowledge much information you as an individual can collect that's right you have more you have yeah breadth it, it, it's even more breadth than 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 with the abstract the downside of the information is from other people that you trust and again we're going to assume that everything is true right now so what's the downside of that, can that um, that's the trust issue yeah, we're don't, assuming you don't know much Right. The thing is that you don't really know what you know. That's right. In other words, if you've rationally thought something through in your own mind, you understand what you understand. Um, if you've seen it, you've heard it, you have. But if someone told you and you believe them, you can repeat those words with all conviction and you know it to be true. And then someone can ask you a follow-up question, what that means, and all of a sudden your mind goes blank because it turns out you don't know beyond literally the words that they told you, mm-hmm. right? Which is this. I love doing this to people. People will say, say something quite emphatically as if they know what they're talking about and then you ask them what that means. You know? Like the economy isn't doing so and you say, well what's the economy?
1: <laughs>
0: like forget we'll forget how the economy does anything and what what it means it does well. Like what is an economy? You know like like the thing, the chart. So you mean the chart is going down. That's also all you mean is that line that they show you on like, you know, CNBC is going down. That that's all like and then it turns out that people don't know stuff. Now this is not unique to other people. It's true about me. It's true about everybody. Because Um, There's one of the great Jewish philosophers actually said that when we say that God is one, we have the same problem. We all say God is one. We say Shemayis Ol Shemakeinu Shem and if we ask a follow-up question, "What do you mean by one?" um, we stumble into all sorts of ridiculous and sometimes even heretical things because we don't really know what we're talking about. Uh, I don't
2: know where it is. I think it's a video, but like it's like people who are experts in the field and they ask them those kind of questions. I think they get stuffed after like whatever their answers.
0: It's very, right, it's a, and so, whereas if you actually spend a lot of time, like, rationally thinking things through, you don't have that problem, to the, because what you're doing is you have, one of the things about rational is really deconstructing, like, what is love? And you say, oh, well, love, okay, well, what is that? And I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, well, you really have to, now, one of the problems here is that as you go deeper and you really know what you're talking about in rational stuff, it becomes harder to communicate to someone else, because you have to start developing your own kind of internal language for that. And you get to a point where the words you're using now have a richness of meaning to you that to other people. And then that's where you get things like jargon from. Where a word means one thing to everybody else, but to this select group of people, it has a much richer and deeper meaning. Okay, yeah.
1: Is the issue between like your abstract knowledge and the knowledge you get from others... I recognize that like sometimes you really don't get it. But like, are there also, aren't there also times that you might get it just as much, but you just don't have the words to explain it yet, like, you, you can know within yourself. Like, I have a sense within myself of what the economy is, let's say, but I, that doesn't mean that I'm capable of explaining it. And even, like, great... There are professors in universities who clearly are very capable in their fields but have not any morsel of ability to explain to another person what it is that they're thinking about. Like, that's so, not, it's
0: not that they don't know it. So, the, so, the, so, so what you have to realize is, and I don't want to get too much into this, is that there's different ways of knowing because there's different dimensions to knowing and they are lacking in knowing in a particular dimension. The ability to articulate something is an aspect of knowing. Now, you can, if you don't have that aspect of knowing, you can still do a lot and know in other dimensions, like something can be very tall but very thin. Right. The, th- the height of something doesn't relate to the thinness. so your ability to know something in a way that you can articulate to yourself or to others, which is an aspect of knowing and a very important aspect of knowing, is not the only dimension of knowing. Um, and some people are very have a, have a, are a, a tremendous amount of um, what mathematicians call intuition, which is not what regular people call intuition, it goes back to jargon. Um, Intuitive kind of knowledge, where they're able to navigate things very well without making mistakes, but they can't draw those edges very clearly for themselves, and that makes it hard to articulate. It also makes them very creative, and so there there are different. This is why I'm trying to explain how there's these different ways of knowing, and they they all hopefully are working together to create holistic knowledge. Okay, cultural knowledge. Why is that better than all other knowledge? Well, you don't have to think about it. It's the most mentally – it's the one that's, that, that's, that's least mentally taxing. So it frees you to actually navigate the world. Yeah, that's one thing. Yeah?
3: We are social creatures, so like having that – or sharing that experience is like something of value to us.
0: Right, right. I want to I I break that into two, which is one, if we don't have cultural knowledge, we cannot communicate with each other because every communication is presupposing some degree of shared culture. Um, That's why lawyers are annoying when they talk because lawyers talk and write as if there is no shared culture and you're gonna intentionally try and misread what I'm saying. But normal people, when you try and communicate, you're trying to refer back to things that we both know to be the case without even realizing we know to be the case. Um, So that's one, it makes communication possible in a way that no other kind of knowledge does. And the other thing, um, and the other thing that it does, is it allows us to fill this, to f- fulfill this need of feeling bonded. Now, communication and bonding are two different. Communication allows us to communicate, do things, get things done. Like we couldn't have a class. I couldn't talk to you. It doesn't mean we feel close to each other. But then there's another thing. Like you actually feel close to people, you. you feel a, a sense of bonding. You feel a sense of family, friendship, kinship. That also requires shared cultural knowledge. Okay. So all of... all, And that's why if you have a really interesting idea, it, it, it can become... It, it, it can be debated, be discussed, but the minute it becomes part of the cultural knowledge, it has totally different meaning, totally different effect. I'm going to use a controversial example. Um, so I'm sure you're aware that there's whole debates around, you know, Torah and evolution, how they fit together and they don't fit together. Yes? I'm not getting into the the, the, the specifics of the claims. Most of that issue boils down to issues of culture. Because if you, if, 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 I'm not gonna start saying, do you know what evolution is? Do you know what evolution is? But if you think, okay, evolution is true, how do you know that evolution is true for the vast majority of people? Is there a particular person who told you and you, that you believe them? You st- I mean, again, there's always some group who you studied it. You certainly didn't observe evolution over millions of years. So what is it? <laughs> it's cultural knowledge. Okay. The Torah is literal. Again, for most people, how do they know that? Was there one person that who said that to them and they found that very convincing? Or that's kind of a cultural knowledge? Well now, remember what I said about cultural knowledge when they clash, it creates all sorts of problems? So this is the, the negative effect of cultures, that if culture binds, then different cultures also, they separate. And so, if you abstract the claim, just the claim on its own, and discuss it. That's one thing. But there's all of what. Well, what is that culture all about, and where is that claim? What culture is that claim part of? And so, it carries a lot more weight and a lot more baggage for good or for ill than just the particular knowledge itself. Okay, that's what allows people to like create coalitions and politics and all sorts of things like that. Okay, not be able to. What? Or not be able to. Well, it's the same thing. So what I want you to see is that these different ways of knowing that none of them are better or worse than the other. Overall, they each have their advantages and disadvantages. Okay, so the knowledge of the Torah, and by Torah here I do not mean merely the five books of Moses, but the entire written and oral project, which we'll go into detail tomorrow, is that knowledge that human beings achieve through rational introspection. Is it knowledge that human beings achieved through observing the world through their senses? Is it knowledge that human beings absorbed through their culture, or is it knowledge that human beings know because someone told them and they believed them? Which one?
3: Composite.
0: The answer is none of the above. There is a fifth kind of knowledge. Well. Okay. Why didn't I include it in the list?
1: Because it only fits
0: it's
1: for
0: the term dramatic effect. No. <laughs> no. I can either. It it does only apply to Torah, but that's not why I included it. It is excluded it, and dramatic. I always find something to be dramatic about. That's it. No, the reason is because we all appreciate that all human beings have absorb knowledge in all four modes. Some of us are better, some of us are worse, right? And we understand that if let's say someone has no sensor, their senses don't work at all. Right we, we all understand there's something wrong with that. If someone can't see, hear, taste, smell, like none of the, none of those like, sense perceptions work, there's clearly something wrong with that. We all understand that if someone is not able to engage in, in any kind of rational introspection and reflection, there's something wrong with them. right? We all understand that if someone is completely impervious to what other people say, there's something wrong with them or go- and in fact, I would argue that. When have you found such a person, other than someone who's like in a vegetative state? I mean, people always have these, these things to some degree. But the fifth method of knowing is something that most people actually do not partake in, they don't do. And if most people don't do something, then what happens, to, we, we tend to exclude it from our category of what, what's normal, what's op- how, how people operate. So imagine if you had a society of people where everybody was blind, and this had gone on for generations. What would that do to their relationship to the kind of knowledge you can only gain from seeing? They would for sure be less trustworthy, but here's even better. Would they even have a frame of reference to even know what you're talking about? They would think you're talking about some kind of weird hearing or touching. But because they don't have a frame of reference. There was a video someone showed me of a person who was born blind. And he he says he finds this very interesting like why people say like the sky is blue and water is blue because he can't figure out what the sky and water have in common. Because there really is nothing they have in common other than... They're blue. They're blue. But like if you you have no sense of what color is, it's just not part of your... Yeah.
1: There's a girl um, who's blind who like makes a whole bunch of YouTube videos about like that whole experience and she has a couple of videos that are just titled like things I didn't know you could see. And she actually used to have some level of seeing, but never like fully developed. And so she just talks about the things that like we actually absorbed, like the knowledge that we absorb by sight. That to her, it's like mind blowing that seeing could at all tell you anything about that.
0: Right. Okay. Can
2: you give an example?
1: I don't remember from her exactly, but it's like the kind of thing that like, um, like when it's really hot and you see it on the pavement. Like, you can be in an air-conditioned room, but you can see that it's hot outside. Mm-hmm. So, for a person who never had very good vision, that's like a mind-blowing concept that you can see temperature. Mm. Well, so, maybe there's a sense that we don't
0: know that. Right. And this sense is called by epistemologists, or, or people who study religion at Revelation, but that's just fancy for prophecy. It is, a, it is Prophecy is not God told you. That's, that's a parable. Prophecy is a different method of knowing altogether. It is not being told by somebody, even God. It is not being absorbed through your culture. It is not your rational mind has pulled it out of whatever that places you pull out ideas from. And it's certainly not something you see with your senses. So what is it? And the answer is, I don't know, because contrary to popular belief, I am not a prophet.
2: So you're saying that like number five is just like none of the your- above?
0: It is none of the above. However, we, so we are going to now do a little bit of what the blind people do talking about seeing, we are going to try and figure out in what ways prophecy or revelation is different than the other forms of knowing. So even if we don't know what it is, we at least have some way of like categorizing it. Yeah.
1: Is there also like a composite element of the other things?
0: Like- yeah, I'm talking about the raw bit. Ba- like, 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 like If we were doing chemistry, I'm talking about the elements. But chemistry is not just knowing the periodic table. It's how those different things interact. So the real fun stuff in epistemology is not just to label these things but to see how they interact in all sorts of interesting ways. So yes, the four modes can interact and if you introduce the fifth mode, it also interacts with the other ones. So for instance, most prophets when they're having prophecy, it is also accompanied by Wait, these other kinds of knowing. But I don't it's think not That was my question. Oh, knowledge that's made of uh,
1: Sorry, I I meant to ask with like Jew- Jewish knowledge, Torah, whatever. Like I feel like some of my Torah knowledge is trusting others some of it is cultural
0: right but I'm not talking about I'm not talking about your Torah knowledge I'm talking about where what is the origin of this knowledge to begin with Before,
1: like, without
0: anyone else accessing it you're saying. yeah like how do people like, like gravity we can tell like, what is the genealogy of how people came to know about gravity what is the genealogy of how we know that Jewish men are supposed to wear the, the fringes where does that come from?
1: Well, like, Abraham experienced it before his eyes the stories without getting prophecy that they happened what? to him. Like, he, like, that was, like, that part of the Torah is Abraham living his day-to-day life. Or not day-to-day life, but, like, you know. Well, but he was there for it, so he also knew it by...
0: Well, this goes back to something we did, and I apologize for the new people in the questions and answers, where we discussed how the Torah has multiple interpretations... Okay. So when Avram lived his life, did he live it the way Rashi said he lived it, or the way the Ramban said he lived it, or the way the Ibn Ezra said he lived it, or the way the Rashbam said he lived it? Because he only lived one of those ways, but the Torah contains all
3: those
0: ways. So that means even somebody who lived the event of the Torah doesn't fully actually have all of the wisdom contained in the but Torah. I'm
1: saying part of it. Yeah, he, but he experienced directly.
0: But yeah. but the thing that he experienced with his senses is not the Torah part. But I think and is another thing Is that he had a, He had 175 year long life How much of it is Torah Was there like a special A special bell that goes off Every time a Torah event occurs I think that
2: like Just because you have the Interacting features Doesn't mean that it's Like One It's not that it's more correct Because it was Like One, two, and three were used I think that's an important part too But also In that if there are Compounding variables Like they're interacting With each other or multiple ways of
1: understanding it like I, th- I think
3: that that's just each that's still using each other things,
0: yeah the, 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 the and one of the interesting things about, about the, the, the Medrash actually says that about Ruven the son of Yaakov and I tell the whole story that had he known that the, a certain event in his life would be part of the Torah he would have acted differently so he lived through the event but had he understood that he is embodying the wisdom of the Torah he would have done it differently uh, which is a wild thing to say, and, and there's nothing if you read through the Chumash, like the conversations there clearly did not actually happen that way. Like, I, I am absolutely sure that if you read like the conversations like that, that say, that, 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 um, that say um, Avram and Sarah have, right? There was probably more dialogue. <laughs> Right? There's, only, there's only like, I don't know, maybe maybe six sentences in the whole Torah uttered between them. They were married for a long time. They probably said stuff. There was probably preludes to those conversations, follow-ups to those conversations, but those are not part of the wisdom of the Torah. So again, the people that even embody those things, and again, these historical events happen, but the wisdom of the Torah, the knowledge of the Torah is containing is not just the human experience of those people that, that, that was there. Yeah.
2: So... Prophecy isn't something that's, like, given to you. It's basically tapping into an additional sense. It, right. So through, like, the same process that somebody could have, like, a cochlear implant or something mm-hmm. done to give them the ability to hear, through working on yourself and refining yourself, you can unlock that sense.
0: It, exactly. Which is, the prophecy is a feature of human beings, not a mar- miracle that God does. Now, God can prevent you from achieving prophecy. like. It's like, if God really doesn't want you to like come up with an idea, he can stop you from coming up with an idea. But we understand that coming up with ideas is you utilizing your human potential. So there is a human potential that is implicit in everyone. Very few people ever access it. Okay, so first off, I'm going to run through very quickly, and if anyone's interested wants more information, there's a book. Where is the wrong one here? Where's the wrong one? Over there. There's books there called the Mishnah Torah, which are all the laws of the whole Torah. If you get the laws, the foundations of the Torah... Starting from chapter seven, you get the laws of prophecy. And so it tells you all sorts of stuff about prophecy. But a few basic things. Number one, the kind of knowledge that you have in prophecy is um, intensely relevant and personal. In other words, going back to like physical things, people don't walk into walls knowing that it's a wall, right? The, the amount, the immediacy and relevance of prophetic knowledge, it far surpasses the immediacy and relevance of empirical knowledge. So much so that when most people experience it, they are not functional human beings. It overwhelms their ability to navigate the world. It's like if you see, like if your senses get overwhelmed, you see a bright light, you can't see anything else. It, the, whatever, the knowledge that impact, that, that, that is received in prophecy, the knowledge that you gain in prophecy, it, the experience of gaining that knowledge is so immediate and so powerful, it completely overwhelms the person. Um, and its sense of urgency and relevance doesn't disappear. doesn't fade over time, which is something that we didn't talk about. How, like, Even if you have a empirical knowledge, as, as it's only that, that relevant in the moment, but as you move away from that situation, it fades into the background. Prophecy, prophetic knowledge doesn't have that. So if you had a prophetic experience 70 years ago, it would be as impactful and as relevant now as if you had just received it a second ago.
3: Yeah. I don't know if you'll get to this, but like, so why haven't I
0: experienced it? I'm going to get to that. Okay. Okay. It's not just you. It's also me. Yes.
2: If that's the case, then why do we read about prophets who... didn't rush to reveal their
0: prophecy so I will give you an analogy Um, so people can people have free will and people can choose to deal with things in different ways so let's say I know for instance give you an example let's say I know going back to your mother let's say I know that you're adopted that you're let's say yeah, I, know I knew that
1: you're, I should Let's say I know that you're adopted, <laughs> okay. right? Yeah.
0: And I know that because I was there involved in your adoption. So it's like very clear. Now, does that necessarily... Now, clearly on some level I want to tell you, but does that mean I could also have other things that inhibit me from telling you, right? And I could feel conflicted about that, right? So the, the famous prophet Yonah, who was sent by God to tell the city of Nineveh to, to repent, you know why he didn't want to tell them to repent? Not because the prophecy wasn't... The prophecy was the prophecy was it was it, was it was it was very very relevant. The problem was that if the city of Nineveh would repent and the Jewish people hadn't repented, then God would use that as an accusation against the Jewish people. So on the one hand is the immediacy of this prophecy, the intensity of the prophecy. On the other hand, is love for the Jewish people, and he felt conflicted. And he, what do people do when they feel conflicted? They don't want to deal with it. They run, run away. So this is not a. It fades into the background. This is a dealing Isn't that with. A decision, though? It is a decision. Yeah, no, but I'm saying it's a decision. But it's not. A, it's not that the, the not that the immediacy the and relevance of the prophecy faded. Yeah. Oh, That's it. what I'm saying. It's not like a physical, yeah. empirical experience where over time, as you, you know, where, 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 where its effect on you fades. Okay. Um, unless you consciously choose to revisit it. Now, all, prophecy allows you to also know things that are not. Um, commensurate with human experience. In other words, you can know about things that go beyond time and space. In other words, or, or really, what it shows you is that what we think are the limits of human capacity are actually not. So there are many things that. Um, have you ever made a chart?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's a top and there's a bottom, there's a left and there's a right. Is that always enough to get all the capture all the information? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you like make it three dimensional. Have you ever had more information, you couldn't start – you started making – like trying to put it all on one chart and it just became ugly because it's just too much information. Because now the thing is our minds, even though we're not realizing, our minds turn things physical. We think in terms of top and bottom and left and right and before and after. But prophecy allows people to know things that actually are not constrained that way. So it frees us of the prophetic knowledge. is a kind of knowledge which is not contained by the normal parameters that all of our other knowledge is contained of time and space. But at the same time, it's extremely intense, and extremely um, and, and, and persistent. Yeah. So all this prophecy stuff,
2: like it seems to be going back. It's just basically having an awareness. isn't
0: that a sense then? Prophecy is a sense. And when you have prophetic knowledge, you have a different kind of knowledge. But
2: then I feel like doesn't everyone to a certain extent have?
0: No. Because we have a few other things. Okay? When you have pro- when you have prophetic knowledge, what you have cannot be wrong. By
3: whose argument?
0: No, no. That's the nature of... This, the, 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 and the reason for that is that unlike other knowledges, all their knowledges between the mind... The knower and the thing they know, there is a process. So you see through a process of light hitting your eyes and it affecting your brain. You hear, right? All these things happen through a process. Prophecy does not occur through a process. That's why the analogy for that is like a bolt of lightning. In other words, it's the, 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 it, is, it, is, it is first you didn't and now you do. First you don't know, and now you do know. And there is, and, and the way it's described, it's like it's a, – it's a, it, it's, 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 if all other knowledge is like you have to eat with like a fork, this is like you're touching the food with your actual hands. There's this directness. There's that we can't see or comprehend, that we think it's prophecy, right? How do you know That's a different discussion. I'm First of what it is, how you know if it's prophecy or not, I'll get to soon. Trust uh, me. At the end of class, we'll do two minutes on how you can know it's not prophecy, and that covers like ninety-nine-nine percent of claims of prophecy. Okay. Um, another thing about another thing about prophecy um, is that prophetic knowledge does not um, is never morally neutral. Okay, so there are many things are like like. There's a cup of water here, right? I, that's a moral neutral. Two plus two equals four. There's many, most of our knowledge has this morally neutral component. Prophetic knowledge is never morally neutral, ever. Yeah. Do you have a feeling of like getting child
2: food? Is that prophetic
0: knowledge?
2: No. If you have an intuition about which numbers we wouldn't lottery, is that prophetic knowledge? No. Even if it ends up being right. Yeah. What's the
0: source, since you're saying you have not experienced prophecy, um, oh. and we're always disappointed to do that, but what, what is the source <laughs> of, like, it is never morally neutral? Like, who said that? Um, people who are either prophets themselves mm-hmm. or people who were analyzing the writings of prophets. Like,
3: which kinds?
0: of? Like well, the main person I'm relying on is the, is the Rambam um, okay. coupled with major Kabbalists like the Roshikar and the Arizal. Um, well, there are a few other stuff thrown in there for. Do they contradict each
1: other? Right
0: there are variations, but they're not contradictions. There are things that, if you take a broader view, you can integrate. It's like that famous elephant thing, where this person says an elephant is a trunk, and this person says an elephant is a brush, and this person says the elephant. You know, if you, a bunch of blind people feel the elephant in different places. Oh, okay. So the thing is, and this next thing is that prophecy is almost never complete. Me. Um, I don't know if it's convenient. It's just.
2: I feel like there's always a broader scope. I guess it's just, it's again, even if you have a prophecy, it's still another none of the Like it's a prophecy of prophecy.
0: That's how prophecy. No, think about like seeing. When you see, you don't see the whole physical world, right? Let's just think of it like that. When you right. hear, you don't hear everything. When you have prophecy, you don't have prophecy of everything.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. That's all I mean. It's just, it's, it's it, 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 it is, the reason, the difference is that there is a theoretical possibility of prophecy to have a prophecy of everything. To ha- it's possible. Unlike other, like, put it, you, you can never see everything at once, you can never hear everything at once, you can never. That, that's all I meant.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and that can sometimes, by the way, cause people to think that there's disagreement when there really isn't. Because if I say it's big and you say it's small and I say it's circular and you say it's rectangular, that can be for any number of reasons, we usually have to do with our vantage points. Not because one of us is really right and one of us is really wrong. Okay. So this kind of knowledge is very different. Now, this kind of knowledge is where the Torah of knowledge comes from. How that knowledge is then categorized, we're going to talk more about tomorrow, different kinds of knowledge, different aspects of that knowledge, how it's preserved through generations a little bit. But this is very important, which means if someone asks a question, and this is going to be the part where I'm just going to be like very honest. If someone says um, about anything in Judaism and they ask this question, well, but how do we know? Once you cut through all of the, the, the smoke and mirrors and the fancy rhetoric, what is the actual just bottom line answer? Revelation from God, prophecy. That, that, that's it. Okay. And, and the thing is that that is meant to, that is meant to be understood as not a, a different version of those four types. A different, um, uh, it's meant to be a, a fifth kind of knowledge. It's a different kind of knowledge. And so now the thing is that I really want to understand Judaism. I need to understand how... Not four kinds of knowledge interact, but five. And if I can't make sense of that, I'm going to always be bothered. I'm going to always have a problem of making sense of, like, how does Revelation of God fit with moral reasoning and human understanding and sense perception? And, and that's going to create a lot of questions. But at the end of the day, if you, if you take that out and you try and reduce Judaism, just to build it on those four types of knowledges, I want, just want to point out that Judaism says that I'm supposed to wear these strings, No amount of observation or reasoning or cultural knowledge created or gave rise to that. That's Judaism claims that there's a revelation from God that resulted in that. Now, how do we know or what do you need to do in order to develop prophecy? So I'm going to give you the basics in case you're interested in. Um, Number one is you have to never give in to your animalistic side, ever. Or to be more accurate, you have to be not just able to control your animalistic side, but um, have s- such convictions that you could never give into your animalistic side. Like people say, "Oh, I, I could never do that," but it would have to actually be true. You could never give into your animalistic side. Your sense of, for lack of words, morality, spiritually, w- spirituality, whatever word you want to use, is so rich and so clear and so personal that you could never give into your animalistic side. If you can give into your animalistic side, you cannot be a prophet. It's like you can't see without opening your eyes.
2: Absolutely. So, like Moses smashed the, the Ten Commandments.
0: That doesn't mean it's animalistic.
2: What, what is animalistic?
0: Animalistic um, means that you are driven by what makes you feel good in the moment okay. over a moral imperative. Um, and so actually because of that we now if we take that in context so clearly Torah does not understand that he just threw down the tablets because he was frustrated there has to be some understanding of where that was coming from okay Um, that's one thing another thing is you cannot be prophetic if you are ignorant because just like running presupposes walking the prophetic knowledge presupposes a developed rational mind and an informed rational mind that is the 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 bedrock it works off of because in order to develop prophetic knowledge the catalyst for that is reflection pondering so if you can't reflect and ponder because either you're not intelligent enough or not informed enough then there's nothing for you to really engage in deep reflection then you cannot catalyze a prophetic knowledge kind of like if you are if you want to go out and if you want to go out and be struck by lightning I don't recommend doing that but if you want to what do you need You need something that's going to conduct electricity. So you need something that's going to be conducive to prophecy. And one of those things is to have a reflective mind. A third thing is you have to be emotionally stable. Okay? This is why, for instance, so there was a prophetess named Devorah. A big deal is made by many writers about Judaism that Devorah was married. Why is it a big deal made about Devorah being married? Because
2: then she was biased their husband.
0: Because then she was what? No. She
2: was emotionally
0: stable. She's right. Because in oh, many oh. in the ancient world, in the ancient world, female mystics, as a general rule, lived what kind of lives? Solitary, Solitary isolated from normal society. And the idea is no, no, no. If you are a prophet, you have to be emotionally stable. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be living a normal family life and also able to be. Prophetic, you have to be isolated from society in order to be prophetic. Moses Moses was not in order to be, Moses was a separate issue because Moses had a wife and he he separated from his wife only when he reached a certain stage of prophecy because he had prophecy at an ongoing basis. So there's a small caveat to this, is that at the moment of prophecy, you cannot um, be engaged in relations with your spouse. And if you're experiencing prophecy on a 24 hour basis, Okay, that's not, so that's not an emotional stability. That's actually why his siblings thought that there was something wrong with him. Like, why do you all of a sudden, like, we're prophets. We live normal lives. Yeah, well, can't. And, and, the answer, and so what, the way God actually instructed is that he gave his siblings prophecy in the middle of being with their spouses, which is psychologically traumatic. <laughs> um, and so then he says, okay, so now if you understand, if someone is living like that with a prophetic, the prophetic state of knowledge all the time, then they that it's not that they're not psychologically capable of being married it's just like they're not so that, that, that's a tech, that's an exception on a technicality but yeah if a person is if a person is off in la la land and they can't like actually maintain like normal human relationships with people and they have to be isolated from society and live the then that they can't I don't know who said it but one of the
2: teachers I heard it recently like I, I heard that you're only able
0: to like experience prophecy like through dreams Okay, most prophets only experience prophecies while they are asleep, or they are in some sort of um, um, epileptic state. In other words, mo- most prophets prophets cannot simultaneously talk and do other things while they are while they are receiving the prophecy. The exception to that would be Moshe. Um, the only
3: yeah.
0: only He's the only exception. Actually, what's really interesting is that Moshe actually was blind. He went blind. He went blind. Of
3: the
0: but he didn't need. What? After after the giving of the Torah, uh, he, right he after,
3: his, his his sense
0: perce- It says the Rabbim writes that his sense perception ceased. But because he had ongoing prophecy, so he had prophetic knowledge of what was in front of him. (laughs) It's just like a whole, so Moshe's like just prophetic knowledge, all hundred, but most prophets aren't like that. Most prophets, the prophetic is something that's like comes and goes, okay? One other important thing is that a prophet must be in a joyous state of mind. So what happens to the prophetic knowledge when one is in a state of mourning or frustration? That inhibits it. Okay, so now if you think about most people's claims of prophecy, okay, this is even before, just the, the character of the first. Before we get to what they claim, when Judy's in more rules. How many people come across as being you know people who never give into their animalistic side at all? Um, they are live normal family lives. They um, are in a joyous disposition, very knowledgeable and profound thinkers, and also claim. Simultaneously, that God talks to them and they hear voices in their head. Very few. few. Now, I just want to be clear: there are more laws in Judaism for ascertaining whether someone is actually a prophet or not. Okay, um, but if these things aren't true, the claim isn't even a plausible claim. Okay, um, so because the way and just will end this is that 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 prophecy is considered to be the pinnacle of human potential. So if you are a subpar human being, you cannot be a prophet. If you are an average human being, you cannot be a prophet. If you are an extraordinary human being, you also can't be a prophet. You need to be at the far, far edge of the moral, ethical, intellectual, um, mental health spectrum of what human beings can achieve to be capable of developing this fifth form of knowledge. Okay? Um, you have to be a
3: pencil. What? You have to be a headsoul.
0: That's putting in Kabbalistic terminology, but, and the answer is no, you could be less than that. Oh. Yeah. You could be a Benini, what it says in time. <laughs> okay. So there is a huge discussion about that, um, and I'm going to give you one version of this, which is that Bill had a very interesting ability, which was the ability to remake his psyche at will. So he would w- spend time developing... his. And, and really working on himself, and then because human beings have free will. I mean, m- most people use their free will in very gradual ways, but he used his free will in very intense ways, so he literally was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of person.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: He would turn into this, like, and he says, like, he says very clearly, I cannot violate God, you have to, you know, he's t- um. and then other times he's, like, engaged in the most horrific behaviors, and there, there are differing views on the matter, so there are views that he wasn't actually truly a prophet, um, but if you wanted to take the view that he truly was a prophet, it was because he had mastered the art of, of of, of developing two distinct personalities. But that
1: wouldn't change his soul. Like if he would give it to his animal
3: soul and sin.
0: That's right. But then, if he could totally compartmentalize that and develop a whole different human persona, which was perfectly capable of being prophetic.
1: Okay,
0: you can because prophecy doesn't go to the depths of the core of your being. It's a form of knowledge, so it's, it's, so you don't, so in theory, this is something that could be done. In other words, like most people, they can compartmentalize their lives to a degree, but eventually gets out of hand. But if you had like an extraordinary ability to compartmentalize, then you could really develop two distinctly functional human personalities, identities, characters. Um, at some deep level, there's something really wrong with that.
3: What? No, no Because multiple
0: Christianity Actually causes people To be dysfunctional they don't, act, they don't have free will To turn them on and off It's I not like it. that It
3: was just
0: like Yeah This is like, like, like We all have the free will To reshape our personality And our character And to compartmentalize But, we, but it's quite limited And there isn't A view that Billum was just Extraordinary like that There is also A view that Billum Actually wasn't experiencing True prophecy um, But Yes and then yes Then I have to run um, uh, By
2: being emotionally stable, does that only have to do with, like, your emotions, or does it also have to do with, like, mental capacities, like if someone did have a mental disorder that caused them to have imbalances that didn't necessarily, like, they're still emotionally stable, but not...
0: It depends, and this gets into, like, I, this gets into very messy territory, because, um... Mm-hmm. What I wanna say is that they're not capable. I think the measure that we use is that they're not capable of living a, a, a normal family life seems to be the kind of the way it's you know it, 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 that seems to be how it seems to be understood. How that lines up with the DSM's mental health diagnostics is is, is a is a interesting thought experiment, but none of that practical relevance, I think. Um you know and I'm sure there are things that that the Torah would consider perfectly stable, but some you know in some societies would be viewed as mentally mentally abnormal, and so I'm that's perfect. not right so but the ability to live a stable family life as the Torah prescribes and be integrated inside in that way now keep in mind, most prophets only came home once a week um, and they were quite isolated, which which was in Jewish, Jewish culture was a quite a standard practice for scholars and mystics, but the idea was that they had children and they spent time with them and they were but then, you know, instead of going out to work, they spent time alone communing with the divine. Okay? So, I want to be clear. It doesn't necessarily mean that they hold down a nine-to-five job, although it could. It just means that they don't have to be, like what was very common in the ancient world, that people who are prophetic have to, like, live on a mountaintop in a shrine and nobody can talk to them, and, or they're, like, too crazy to hold down a job and provide for their family if they need to, or something like that. One other person had a question, and I really have to run. Uh, what
2: does it mean, when? It says that
0: prophecy was like diminished so I think we all understand that if people grow up in a society where there's a lot of war there's famine there's no educational institutions you're not going to produce many Nobel Prize winners in that kind of an environment is that because the inherent human potential isn't there or because it
3: was, it was like said as a statement so that so prophecy
0: is no longer. so so right but like most statements in Judaism you have to know all of the relevant statements there is no law that says prophecy has ended in fact the, the, the Rabbim actually mentions people by name that he knows were prophets um, but the availability developing this is when there is no temple when the Jews are exiled from their land is extremely difficult and even those who do achieve it achieve only minimal levels of it
2: I think the had
0: so it's a prerequisite to be a Hasidic Rebbe to be able to be, to be prophetic that's just a flat out Thing going back to the Balshemtoh that you, someone is a true Chassidic as the Baal Shem Tov explained what that means they would have to be prophetic. Yeah. Also, to be a Kabbalist you have to be prophetic. Like if someone is a real Kabbalist then they're they, if there's someone who reads books of Kabbalah like me that doesn't mean but if you're like some like the AriZal the Ramak or any of these famous Kabbalists they are making a claim to prophecy if you read the books like the first thing they say is like they, they're prophetic. Which
1: chapter is the end prophecy?
2: It
0: doesn't seem so because he was not mentally stable nor particularly um, um, observant even so in his early years. the average
2: th- person can access
0: prophecy? I think he can, or it's plausible. Those are two. But you don't think we have prophecy in our own
2: lives? No. So how we have, like, no. we're called to certain things. No. Anything.
0: Now, what I want to be clear is that. When you start mixing those other four kinds of knowledges, especially if it's rooted on your understanding of what was revealed prophetically, you can definitely have intuitions and insights, which you might not be able to explain exactly where they came from, because it's like, you know, just because you know the properties of the, the substance doesn't mean you understand how chemically it was produced. And so there are many things that might feel like intuition or a sign from God or very prophetic. And that's very nice, and I'm not discounting that. And, I, you know, and then there's another, there's actually a sixth kind of knowledge called um, imuna which is the sense of the truth of the Torah, independent, which which is a whole nother topic. So there's more going on and, but if you want strictly speaking what prophecy is, it, it, as Judaism understand, it is a very specific kind of knowledge that is, that is the pinnacle of human potential and yeah, very few people are ever going to achieve it until the coming of Mashiach. And it has to be something
2: that
1: adds to the
0: Torah? No, that's already another topic which I'm gonna talk about tomorrow. As far as I can tell, there are six kinds of knowledge. No, no, not
1: knowledge. In order to no,
0: there's more. There's more. I just mentioned some of the things to like really narrow down that the crazy guy in the morning block is not a problem.